today is Psalm, it's in Psalm 103 verse 8, and it's talking about how God is slow to get angry, uh, and yet He's filled with unfailing love. And one of the things that you'll do when you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is again and again, uh, when we're trying to understand how is God unfailing in His love, or how is God like really uh, faithful, or what has God done that's so supernatural and so miraculous? Uh, and we go back to the stories of the Old Testament, particularly the story of Exodus. Uh, you know, God has designed the Old Testament particularly, but also the New Testament uh, in a way where we're not asking God sort of to perform a miracle for us for entertainment on a daily basis. God is saying, I'm in the miraculous business. I do the miraculous on a daily basis. But there's certain events which are just like historically significant. And the Exodus was one of those, where God just displays like unbelievable amount of power, uh, you know, has the Israelites go through the Red Sea, uh, wipes out the Egyptian army. And these stories, you know, they, you go back to them again and again and again uh, to demonstrate both God's power and God's love and how personal God can be. The challenge that we have now, you know, 4,000 years plus later, is, A, we've heard these stories a lot, so they kind of, I don't know, maybe lose significance, or shouldn't, but, uh, or they just become something that's so repetitive that we're like, okay, I, I, I remember that story. And I think what God wants us to do is develop our own set of uh, stories where God has done awesome things in our lives, and then we can also reflect back on those when we go through times of trouble or doubt. And we say, God, look what you've done in my life. And when we reflect back, we get encouraged. Or uh, we hear stories of what God has done uh, recently. And we think, wow, that's just like so incredible. I mean, like only God could do that. And one of the uh, stories that I uh, want to share with you is, how God is doing something on a global scale, but also on a local scale. What I mean is this. Uh, God seems to be revealing himself in powerful ways around the globe. And uh, there seems to be phases in different countries' history where God is really, like, active. And then there seems to be phases when God just seems to be really kind of, like, hard to find or you know, governments have like kicked God out. And uh, so one of the things which has happened in New England in particularly is we've kind of grown cold towards the gospel as a whole. I mean, most people would look at New England area and say, geez, that's really not the, you know, where all the action's happening in, in terms of God. Now, there's a church in Hong Kong and uh, they were planted out of the Episcopal church in, in Maine. And so their hearts are grieving. And they're saying, you know, how is it that the Anglican church uh, was so like excited about God that they would send missionaries throughout the world and uh, they send missionaries to Hong Kong? And yet now Hong Kong is really just doing great in terms of the gospel. The people are really receiving the Lord and not so much in New England. And we see a very similar pattern uh, when, when we're doing missions work in Spain. And, and here's the dilemma. Uh, 
Spain sent out missionaries to the, you know, mostly Latin America. And they did unbelievable uh, missionary work. I mean, they also did a lot of stuff where it was all for money and not so much for missions and kind of got convoluted. But at this point in time, Spain is like really hurting in terms of the gospel. And yet Latin America is really thriving. And so many of the countries in Latin America are praying for Spain. In fact, they're sending missionaries to Spain because they desperately want to bless Spain with uh, how Spain has blessed them. And then ironically, uh, this is what happens when you get, when the missionaries from Latin America get to Spain. They are totally rejected. I mean, it's very sad and very frustrating. I mean, you talk about racism. I'm telling you, it's thick in Spain. I mean, you're from Latin America. They get treated like dirt. And the Spanish people only want to speak with Spanish people. And so you get a Latin American trying to present the gospel. They get just dismissed just because they're Latin American. And so the Latin Americans are like so frustrated. It's like, okay, we're sending missionaries. We're trying. We're breaking into to, to Spain. We're trying to break into Spain, and they're being rejected. I mean, we had a story with one of the, the vineyard um, I'd say kid, 20-year-old, that was here at our church, and then she went and spent a summer down in the Dominican Republic, and she's from the Barcelona Vineyard, and she's Spanish, born in Spain, raised in Spain, but her parents are from Guatemala, and she has a Latin American look about it. So she goes back to Spain, and she's in the public marketplace, and she's figured out, hey, we do a lot of servant evangelism, we do good things for people in public places, and, and so she's in the park in Barcelona, and they're busy like doing face painting and handing out water bottles and just loving on the people. And the local Span Spaniard gets hold of her and looks her in the face and says, get out of here, get out of this country and go back to where you come from. And she was like, I'm from Barcelona, I was born in Barcelona, you know, why are you screaming at me and yelling at me, all I'm trying to do is love you. I mean, that's the battle that missionaries have in Spain. Oh, it's just a reality, it's sad, it's reality. Now back to this story. So I uh, got a, a pastor friend of mine, and uh, I know this is going to be hard to imagine, but here's a guy who's 30 years old, and he's planting a church, or he's already planted a church, in the Anglican tradition, in Franklin. Okay, think of that, Anglican church planting Franklin. Yes, it's happening in New England, right? So I'm hanging, hanging out with my friend, and he's sharing God's stories. And uh, so he tells me this story about how this church in Maine had sent out these missionaries, you know, hundreds of years ago to Hong Kong. Hong Kong uh, church has been tracing their roots, and they're just saddened by the fact that the gospel isn't happening in Maine. And it is happening in Hong Kong. So they spent 20 years praying. Talk about a committed prayer team. 20 years praying. Often it's a daily thing. Not like, okay, once a year we'll get... To, no daily or weekly, for 20 years, praying for this church, praying for this church. So at the beginning of this year, the pastor uh, says, okay, look, we're going to do an offering for this church. And, he, and I don't know how big the church is in Hong Kong, but they do an offering. And uh, I don't know, say they collect like $7,000. And they think, okay, that's, that's pretty good. You know, we're a small church, $7,000. And the pastor says, look, we've been praying uh, for this church for a long time. We need to up our commitment uh, we're going to pass the bucket around or the plate around again, and we do another collection. So they did another collection, and they get like uh, a su substantial amount of money, like $20,000. They're 
The pastor comes back and says, nope, 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 nope. This is not, not going to cut it. He says, look, we've been praying for this church in Biddeford, Maine for 20 plus years. It's a different day. We're going to go and buy this church building. We heard that the church has closed. There's no believers left in the church. The church is now for sale, and it's going to be used for something other than church. We're going to go buy that building, and we're going to send a missionary there, and we're going to do something about the gospel in Maine. They pass the plate around again, and it's the, the Chinese New Year. The kids are putting in their money. I mean, this is how you know when God's moving, right? The kids are like, oh, this is my 200 and something thousand dollars they collect. They go to Maine, and they buy the church in Biddeford, Maine, Anglican church. It's now like empty and depleted. Okay, you, you think, wow, that's just like a phenomenal story. Now, God is moving. It gets better. You think, how does it get better than that? I mean, that's like prayer and commitment and movement. So they say, look, okay, there's a professor at Gordon Conwell Theological uh, Seminary who's, uh, who's from Hong Kong, or, and I don't know if he was connected to the church. I, I was battling to get all the facts of the story. And they said, okay, we're going to commission you to be the pastor in this church building which we've just built, uh, just purchased. We've bought this building back, Anglican church. You're going to be the pastor. And so the guy says, great, I, I, I'll, I'll do that. And so they said, okay, but now we need the bishop, and we need the bishop to kind of bless this whole thing because that's the way it works in the Anglican church. So they call up the bishop, and they say, bishop, listen, we bought the building. We've got uh, Dr. Chang. We, he's going to be the pastor. We, we need you to like, commission this thing, and uh, will you do it? And so the bishop, Anglican bishop over the area, says this. He has the incredible part. He says, you won't believe it. My parents and my grandparents became believers in that church. I will ordain you, and I'll commission you. And that's what they've done. So the, the last few months, you know, they're off and going. We need God stories in our lives, you know, of what God is doing, not just I mean, we need like what Moses did, for sure. But we need what like God is doing today. You know, God is doing stuff that we don't hear about, we don't always know about. And, uh, you know, the most important God story is the story that God does in your life, in my life. Uh, we, we need stories of how God is moving and active in our lives. But uh, today, I want us to look at this phrase in Psalm 103.8. God is slow to get angry and is filled with unfailing love. Uh, God's love for New England and for Maine and for Massachusetts, it's unfailing. We might go through seasons where it's difficult, but God, when we continue to press in and seek Him, God is moving. God is doing stuff in our lives. God is unfailing in His love, and He is totally uh, forgiving, and He does not get angry or doesn't stay angry, or uh, He's slow to anger. Uh, God obviously gets angry when we reject Him, but He is quick to forgive us. So uh, I want to look at uh, this, uh, this verse. And as I said last week when we were finishing up a series on prayer, and now we're doing a series on Bible promises, these are pretty closely related. Last week uh, we were doing prayer as it related to Psalm 102, and today I want to do Bible promises as it's related to 103, uh, and last week, uh, the, the premise of the prayer was this, Psalm 102, just like ask God to be involved in your life, ask God to hear your prayers. And then not only that, 
be very specific in listing what are your problems. Tell God about them. Complain to God about them. Like, tell God about it. Just like, articulate what it is that's bothering you or what it is in your life that you want God to do differently in your life. And then the turning point in Psalm 102 uh, is when you finish doing that and then you fix your eyes on God. And you say, but God. But God can change it. And then the psalmist's uh, transformation is, God, you are so unbelievably great. You are so unbelievably awesome. I mean, you do these incredible things in just holding this earth together, in creation. And it's all by your spoken word and by your command. And so the psalmist is getting uplifted by focusing on the awesomeness, the greatness, and the power of God. And so uh, today, in a similar way, uh, as we look at God's promises, we have in our mind that God is unbelievable. He can come through. He is uh, uh, dependable. And uh, when we get these verses, they give us life because we know that there's hope in these verses and God can do stuff in our lives in these verses. So uh, what I would like you to get out of today's sermon is this. I would like you to get out of your own way so that God can love you. I would like you to get out of your own way and your own thinking so that God can love you. God loves us. God wants to be involved in our lives, and we need to stop putting up roadblocks in our lives that prevent God from loving us. And so, you know, what I want to focus on today is, God, what are your promises to us? And how can we experience those promises, not just read about those promises? How do those promises become reality in our lives, not just a Bible verse that we can read and, you know, it's a Bible verse? How does that become a reality? And so that's uh, what I want to talk about today. So let me just open in prayer. Lord, unless you move, unless your Holy Spirit stirs our hearts, unless you can connect us uh, to you, we really uh, can't understand you. We can't relate to you. Lord, it's only your love. It's only by you revealing who you are that uh, we can understand and appreciate who you are. So, Lord Jesus, I just lift up this message. I just pray you'd put heat on it. I just pray you'd help me to articulate it. I just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts and that we can receive your word and that you'd move. We welcome your presence, Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So as I said, Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The scripture tells us again and again that God is slow to get angry. Uh, and yet, our experience of that is like, okay, God is angry at me, or God is angry with us, or God is angry with us as a region. Now, part of it can be totally appropriate because if we do things that are highly offensive to God, then God will get angry with us. He keeps telling us how we should live and how we should do things, and if we don't, God distances himself. We put up these roadblocks between us and God. And if we can remove these roadblocks, uh, we experience the love of God. 
uh, and this is a simple process. It's called sin and forgiveness. So when we sin against God, when we live or do things which are, are offensive to God, the remedy, the solution is to confess our sin and remove that barrier and get that out of the way and allow God uh, to connect with us and to love us. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's our doing. Most of the time, it's our doing where we're putting up roadblocks and we need to get, uh, um, you know, get rid of it. Sometimes it's a mental problem where we've got a, a role model in our parents or in our church experience where we just have been treated harshly uh, and uh, we just sense that God is angry uh, and we've just role modeled something. Something's been role modeled to us that we just, you know, need to have a, a, a perception change and a heart change to experience God's love and not false guilt or, you know, bad role modeling. In a similar way, uh, we should experience God's love more than just a word, more than just the Bible saying, I love you. There needs to be something personal and relational about God's love. We need to experience uh, God's love. And if we don't, uh, we're missing out on something. So as a Christian, we have confused feelings. Uh, often, we would say, you know, I feel fearful. I feel unloved. I feel anxious. I feel depressed. I feel loneliness, uh, there's a sense of worthlessness or or confusion or discouragement. And yet at the same time, we're saying, but as Christians, we shouldn't experience that. And so now we have a tension where we're saying, wait, I know the Bible says we shouldn't be anxious, but I am anxious. And so now you're in a, you get caught in this sort of dilemma where it's like, I know the Word of God is true. I know I can depend on it, but I'm not experiencing it. And so you get caught in a negative cycle, uh, and it's amplified uh, with very explicit verses telling us exactly the opposite. For instance, Isaiah 41.10 says this, Don't be afraid. And yet our experience would be, I'm afraid. I'm afraid about my work. I'm afraid about my relationships. I'm afraid about my kids. I'm just afraid. And Isaiah is saying, you know, in easy English to understand, not that he wrote in English, but don't be afraid. I mean, it's not difficult to, to understand what the Bible is saying. Don't be afraid. And it says, for I am with you. Okay, so we get it. Don't be afraid. God is with us. But our experience is saying, I am afraid and God seems distant. Uh, that verse carries on and it says, don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my righteous, my victorious right hand. God is saying He will be there. He will hold us up. We can depend on it. And that could be a, a Bible promise, which I'm not using today, but it's a legit, legitimate Bible promise. God is promising us that uh, we, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be discouraged. He'll be with us. And he'll strengthen us. And then in the New Testament, Matthew, it says this. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Very clearly, God is saying, don't worry. And what do we do? We worry. We get like super anxious. We get wound up. We worry. We worry about tomorrow. We worry about today. And we don't listen to what God is saying. So uh, 
trying to reconcile this tension between the truth and the knowledge of God and our experience of God uh, is something I want you to just pull out your bulletin insert for because there's three points here that I, I, I think can be useful to you. Uh, let me just premise this by saying this. God is totally trustworthy. God's Word is true. So if your experience is not lining up to the truth of God, the thing that needs to change is not the truth of God. The truth of God, God's Word, is going to stand firm. What needs to change is you and your experience. Okay, so we need to get our experience of God, our lifestyle, to line up with God's truth. That, that's the challenge. Now, the main and the plain, the easiest way of doing this is what people have experienced in charismatic and non-charismatic churches, in churches in Africa, churches in Russia, and churches in South America. It's the reading of the Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. People again and again are, are saying, you know, when I commit my life to regularly reading the Bible, and you do it with a sense of prayer, you're not reading a history book, uh, you're reading the Bible this way. You're saying, God, speak to me. You know, just like in my reading, in my daily reading, like, what are you saying to me? And what is normal, ordinary, average Christian experience is that the Word of God somehow or other comes alive. There'll be verses which just sort of speak to you. You're reading a psalm and you say, that's me, that's my life. And you read that same psalm and you say, this really helps me. God, I feel encouraged because the Spirit of God is breathing on the Word of God as we read it and we internalize it. It's the Holy Spirit within us is connecting with the Spirit of God and it's helping us get from where we are, our worry, our stuck place, our discouragement, and it's lining us up and it's breathing faith into us and saying, no, there's, there, there's a way out of this. There's a way forward here. I am with you. God is speaking to us personally. And it's not like we hear this big audible voice. It's just like we feel encouraged as we read the Word of God. So I'd say that's just sort of the uh, normal, everyday, common experience where the Word of God comes alive when we read it. The second way uh, that we can experience this um, reality, the truth of God, uh, is by where our experience doesn't line up with the truth of God, is what I call a power encounter. We have an encounter, a spiritual encounter with God. It's a power encounter. It's like a, a conflict of two worlds. And uh, this encounter is such that it changes our experience, our situation, dramatically, often instantaneously, uh, as we experience this truth and it, and it lines up and frees us. Now, the first power encounter uh, that I want to talk about is the power encounter using revelatory gifting. Uh, Dr. Charles Kraft, who we've had out here a few times at the church, uh, I think has been very helpful to us uh, in getting an understanding of this power encounter. Uh, so Dr. Charles Kraft, his background was, he was a professor, or he, he still is, I don't know where he is now, uh, at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. And in his earlier years, he went out to West Africa as a missionary and he was doing what most missionaries do. Uh, they were preaching the Word of God and preaching the Word of God, and he just like, wasn't making any impact uh, because what would happen is the Africans that he was preaching to would come to him with a problem, and he would give the solution, would be a scripture reference, and say, well, this is what the Bible says. And the person says, yeah, but I'm experiencing something totally different. 
help me to make my experience line up with the truth of God. And Dr. Kraft said, I, I don't know how to do that. I can tell you the truth of God. I'll read it to you again and again and again. I, I can have you memorize it. And the person says, but hold on, I just go down the road here to the witch doctor, and the witch doctor does something with some bones and some things, and, and like there's power, and like stuff happens. And Dr. Kraft came back, and like he said, I, there's something about the power of God that's missing that I need to twig on to. And so he like said, okay, I, I, let me try going back to, to Africa, and this time when people come with a problem, let me see if I can ask for the power of God to have a power encounter in their lives and see if there's a transformation. And lo and behold, he found this to be highly successful. Now, what he was, Dr. Kraft, being very academic and intellectual and being a student, uh, he was trying to understand how head knowledge and experiential knowledge can line up. And so what he does, and what, if you've read any of his books or you've been to any of these seminars, uh, he was basically saying, look, we come to a point in our lives where our experience is not matching up with, our tr with the truth. And what uh, Dr. Kraft would do is he would take the person that he's dealing with through like some lifetime experience and say, what trauma have you experienced in your life? And often it's in the early years of people's lives where there's been trauma. And then from a revelatory standpoint, now he has the mystical part, he would, God would give him insight or reveal stuff to him and say, okay, was this a particular issue at this particular time because God would give him a picture or something? And he said, well, does this describe your situation? And the person said, that, that, that describes it. I totally get it. And then what Dr. Kraft would do, and this was the sort of the, the insight. This is what I want you to like, take home. He said, I can't fix your problem by reading your Bible verse. The way I'm going to fix your problem is you have to have a new experience. But this experience has to include Jesus. And so what he would say to the person is, okay, if that picture that I got is accurate, um, can, you, uh, can you do me a favor? As we're praying, can you invite Jesus back into that situation? Now, this person might have been five or even younger. And sometimes Dr. Kraft has to help the person uh, get it. And said, look around. You're back in that situation. Look around. Where is Jesus? And this is a whole new thing because invariably, and this is the, the, the mystical, marvelous part, invariably Jesus will show up in that picture, in that trauma, and reveal where he is. And invariably he's like out in the periphery, somewhere behind the person or on the side. And then Dr. Crawford said, well, look at Jesus. What does his countenance look like? What does his facial expressions look like? And that changes the whole trauma of that situation because now that trauma uh, has been uh, diffused where Jesus is put in and the pain is removed. Now the memory is still there, but the memory doesn't have pain. So what I'm saying is from the person praying, they had a revelatory supernatural uh, insight to help that person. And it's very useful. Now, uh, personally, I was on the giving side of this same sort of uh, setup. Again, uh, just happened to be on a missions trip in Madrid, and uh, we were in a life group. Uh, and at this group were some two girls from, from, uh, from Germany. Uh, Jeff uh, Biggers was with me on that trip. I remember we were praying for this girl, 
And uh, it was very weird, weird to me. It's like, okay, we're in Spain, and yeah, you got some Germans, and like, do they know Jesus? And they don't even know Jesus. And I'm like, okay, I don't know anything about them. I don't know anything about their background. And uh, as I start praying for this girl, I get a picture of her as a five-year-old being dropped off at school, and I see this picture of this, the, the school building and the gates in the front, and, and I, I said to her, I said, look, does this describe the school that you went to? And I describe what I'm seeing. I can actually still see this picture now in my mind, even though this has got to be seven years ago or so. I said, this is the thing, and you're at the bottom of these steps, and for some reason you're traumatized. I don't know what happened. What happened in that? I said, hey, did this happen? And what happened? And she just burst into tears, and she says, oh, yeah, this was a major traumatic experience for me. Uh, and I, I can't remember the background of her story, why it was so traumatic. Uh, you know, from my standpoint, it was just like, okay, I'm, you know, I see you as a, as a five-year-old in front of the school thing. And so I said, okay, where is Jesus? And she said, I don't know. I said, no, 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 hold on a second. Just stay there. At the, go into that place where you're feeling so traumatized. Ask Jesus to show himself. Where is he? And she was like, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, doesn't matter if you believe in him or not. Ask him, where is Jesus? He's there somewhere. And she's like, she's like closes her eyes. And, and next minute, she just has a huge smile on her face. I see Jesus. I said, well, where is he? Because I can't see him. She said, where is he? Oh, he's over here. What does he look like? Oh, he's weeping. Oh. And so, you know, she just leave her in that moment for a while. And it's like, was that helpful to you? And she's like, helpful. She said, it changed everything. I mean, I wish I could have followed up with this girl, you know, Many years later, I lost. That was the only encounter I had with her. All I can tell you is this: when I met this girl at this meeting, she was in a high state of like uh, anxiousness, or uh, I mean, she couldn't sit still. And when she left, she was an emotional basket case because she was like feeling the love of God in a way she'd never experienced. And this is somebody that doesn't even believe in Jesus. I mean, this is an amazing thing. But she was willing to go through this. A prayer, and I, 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 hopefully she would like put her life in the hands of the Lord after experiencing Him in that way. Now, He has a far less mystical way of doing this. We can still have a power encounter using directed prayer. Uh, directed prayer would go this way. Uh, a person, the person praying for you, would ask you, uh, to explain like your background, particularly formative years, things that, you know, where we get e easily scarred. Because remember, when we're young and innocent, we think everything's perfect. We, we, we have huge amount of trust in people. Uh, and then all of a sudden, if we violate it or our trust is broken, uh, we, as innocent young people, that's traumatic. Uh, as we get older, you kind of have, you know, ways of coping a little bit better. But as a kid, it's hard. So often in those formative years, uh, they really... Uh, can have a disproportionate influence in the rest of our life. So you can be, a person that's trained in this can be praying for you, and the question they ask is not revelatory, there's nothing supernatural about it, they're just asking you, okay, where was there pain in your early years, particularly? And you say, well, there was pain here, and there was pain here, and there was pain, they said, okay, let's just pray for that particular situation. And again, the magic source, if you would, isn't anything magic, it's the presence of God, and inviting God's presence into that situation and saying, Jesus, can you do what only you can do? Can you heal this memory? Or can you create a new memory without the pain? So God's presence comes in. He comes into that situation. 
and by uh, asking for God's presence, that pain is removed. The memory still stays, but the pain is removed. It, it, like Dr. Kraft would so aptly say, it's like having a scar. Uh, you can poke it. It's just a scar. It doesn't hurt anymore because it's healed, but you can still see it. And in a similar way, uh, that's what we can experience. I, s I mention these three tools because I think they're powerful. The main and the plain. You read the Word. You ask God to speak to you. You ask God to make a difference. The other way is somebody has spiritual gifting uh, and in some way can help you uh, and remove uh, the trauma. And in Dr. Kraft's case, uh, he would what he's found through experience is often when there's that trauma, it's been an entry point for demonic. And so for, in Dr. Kraft's case, there was always a sense of, okay, I need to also deliver the person from the demonic uh, for the person to get healed. And in the third case, it's like, okay, it's, we're not looking at a demonic. We're looking at the situation. We're asking for God's presence and people are healed. Let me just uh, do a quick unsophisticated uh, experiments, experience uh, experiment here or a survey survey how many of you would say this how many of you here uh, would say you've been on the receiving end of prayer for the demonic and somebody's prayed for you uh, to get rid of demonic affliction and as a result of that prayer uh, you felt a significant change or improvement or benefit in your life how many of you would say that just just Whoa, that's a lot more people than I expected. That's a lot more people than I expected. Okay, so let me just repeat that. This is people self-professing that somebody has prayed for them to have demonic affliction removed from their lives. And after that prayer, that person is saying that they feel and have continued to feel dramatically different. Okay, I say that because... We don't, I mean, we don't do a whole lot of demonic uh, prayer removal stuff, but it's a very, very, very useful tool. At the right time, the right place, the right people, it's helpful. We can't dismiss it. Uh, let me just do that. Just put your hand up again. Okay, folks, look around here. This is what I want you to do. If you feel like you need to speak to somebody, go and find one of these people, ask their story, and ask them how that was helpful to you. Uh, because I believe that we're living with a lot of these blockages and barriers that, you know, as Dr. Kraft so well demonstrated to us, it's not complicated to, you know, have our lives reconciled with the truth of God and the experience of God to be the same. There shouldn't be this distant tension. And often we've experienced trauma. It's been an entry point for demonic. We're living with demonic affliction. And sometimes the only way to get healed is to get rid of the demonic affliction. But you need to replace the demonic affliction with the presence of God. Uh, it's not, you know, standalone stuff. Uh, but that, you know, that's not the main and the plain. I mean, it's not the only form of prayer. It's a useful form. And there's a whole bunch of folks here in the church which are trained in this and, and, and will pray for you, Kevin and, and, and Sue Birchman, you know, uh, and the other prayer forms of prayer ministry. They specific tools for the right situation is very powerful and helpful. And again, what we're trying to do is have the Word of God and our experience of God to be one and the same. And it's us that has to change or something has to happen to us because the Word of God is going to be good forever. I want to talk briefly about positive thinking. 
positive thinking seems to get a bad rap in the church uh, uh, for maybe a good reason because it's like, okay, I just, if I just think positive, if I just like hype it up, if I just do it on my own, um, that'll be good. Well, part of me, like, I'm all for that in a way because I'd rather hang out with a positive person than a negative person. You know, somebody that's like optimistic and thinks it can be done and, and, and feels like they're an overcomer and, and his positive outlook is just pleasant to be around. Whereas somebody that's like always depressed and always hurting and, and is just always negative and doesn't matter how good the news is, they just always like take it negatively. You, you finally, you're like, okay, you're draining me. You know, it's like no matter how much I tell you about Jesus and, and tell you about his love, you just like for some reason in your particular case, you're just like he doesn't love me and he doesn't like me and, 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 and just negative. So I think, you know, as Christians, we should be like the most positive people in the whole wide world. I mean, like we have the living God in us, uh, the person that can overcome all our problems and the help of the Holy Spirit like nobody else can. Now, it is true that our lives are not perfect and there's always more that we need. So yeah, we can always focus on what's not right in our lives, uh, but we can also focus on all that is right in our lives and who we have with us in our lives and the experience and the power of God in our lives and the helper that He is to us. I mean, there's a lot uh, that we can lean on to be positive people, even in depressing times. And there's nothing like reading the Psalms to get a grip and a hold of that. Because again and again in the Psalms, just like in Psalm 102, it's like the, the psalmist is in a terrible state. His experience is God has rejected him. His experience is God is not hearing his prayers. His experience is his enemies are about to kill him. And yet, at the same time, he's saying, but you, God, only you can deliver me. And I believe you will. That's the difference. The psalmist, God, I know you will deliver me. And if you, and if you don't, then great, I'll be with you, you know. My life might just be like smoke short, like grass, it withers. It might be short, but I'm going to be with you. So no matter what, there's a sense of positiveness with the psalmist. All right. Let me, uh, after saying all of that, let me just say this. Uh, when we read this phrase in 103.8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. It needs to trigger the source of that verse. The source of that verse is Exodus chapter 34. And now this phrase will come up again and again and again in the Psalms and in the Old Testament. And again and again, we have to think of it in terms of Exodus 34. Because it's the setting in Exodus 34, which is so unbelievably awesome, so unbelievably hopeful that the psalmists and others are using that phrase. And here's the setup for Exodus 34. Exodus 34, lo and behold, comes after Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, uh, Moses essentially said, God, I've seen your power. It's like unbelievable. It's like awesome. But what I need is your personalness. I need, your, I need to experience like who you are. I want to look at you face to face. I want to experience you, not just your power. I mean, we're in a complete reversal nowadays. It's like, God, I want to see your power. I mean, I, I, I'm tired of just reading. More signs and wonders, God, like more supernatural. Moses was saying, I've seen plenty of supernatural. I, I need to know your, your intimacy. I need to know your relation. And then Exodus 34, which comes after Exodus 33, which comes after Exodus 32, God had just like taken Moses up to Mount Sinai, given him the Ten Commandments. 
I mean, it's like this unbelievable thing. God's doing this covenant. He's promising his Jewish people. And then, you know, you know the story. Moses goes down and there's Aaron. He's worshiping a golden calf. I mean, it's like unbelievable. You know, the first three of the Ten Commandments being violated right there. And Moses gets mad. He breaks the Ten, the ten Commandments. And then in Exodus 34, he's going back up. God says, okay, we'll, we'll do a redo, makeover, bring up some new tablets. And... Uh, and that's Exodus 34. So I guess I better read it quickly. I know I'm running out of time here. So Exodus 34, let me just pick it up in verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord. So again, he has God, God is saying, Moses, I'm going to show you my personalness. I'm going to be present here for you in a, in a whole other way. And then God says, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. You know, God is saying, listen, you, you guys, the whole nation, you screwed up royally, but I forgive you. I love you. And it's like, whoa, if God can forgive a nation, like, what, what could have they done worse than what they did? And God is saying, I'm slow to get angry and have full of love. And so we take great uh, comfort in that today. So I want us to just close as I read Psalm 103. It says this, Psalm of David, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart, I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. Okay, so here's David. He's looking. What are the good things? Let me think of all the memories that I've had personally with you, God, and what you've done with us as Israelites. Uh, let me remember all the good things. And then he carries on. He says, He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death. He crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He reveals His character to Moses and His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I mean, it's just incredible what Moses is saying there and experiencing there. Um, so let me just have the uh, worship team uh, come on up and let me conclude it this way. You know, often we don't get what we deserve. We deserve rejection by God and yet we get acceptance. We deserve God to be angry with us because we're not perfect. And God says, I I'm not angry with you. I love you. Uh, I, I, I accept you. Uh, we deserve to be left alone to do our own thing and do it our own way. And yet we know that Jesus has said, look, I have come to bridge this gap, to deal with people which are imperfect. And Jesus said, I've given my life. I am very God. I, I, I died on the cross. I'm connecting us so that our head knowledge, when we read the Word of God, should line up with our experience of who God is. And Jesus say, I am that bridge. I am bringing that tension together. I am the person, Jesus is saying, 
who takes the Word of God because He is the Word of God and makes that our experience of God as we invite God into our lives. When we say, Jesus, it's you. I want to experience you fully. Live within me. Allow your Spirit to be within me. We get unity with God. And Jesus says, I will forgive you, and I will help you, and I will be there for you, and I will not be angry with you, and I will love you. And as John 10.10 says, the enemy comes to rob, steal, and destroy, and Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Now, do we want to like press into the things of God and live an abundant life, or do we want to just go along with what the enemy is afflicting us with and doing to us and robbing and destroying in our lives? God is saying, press into me. And I say to us today, let us press into God. Let us leave our problems to God and say, God, I desire your purposes. I desire your presence. Here are my problems. I give them to you. But God, you, Jesus, you have the ability to overcome. You can fix me, heal me, help me, and be here for me. And that's our prayer. So we just welcome you, Jesus, to move like only you can. Why don't we stand and let's worship and thank you. And we'll have some prayer time afterwards.